before I go back and read a couple of the verses again, just to make sure we got them, I want to point out something because it doesn't really flow with any of the rest of the sermon, but I think it's a it's a good lesson that's in there. Do you notice there's like three people in that reading, and we're going to take a couple of verses that we didn't finish in 23, and then we're actually going to take a couple in 25, and all of you are like, holy cow, how long are we going to be here? It's going to be fast because it's, it's, it's a lot of history and, and and then a little bit of application that goes goes with it. I think the Kings has a, the writer of Kings has a specific thing he's trying to do. But what I want to ask you is if you notice in those those names that got changed, it was the enemy that changed that person's name. That last king got his name changed from what it was. And then I'll point out in a minute, one of the middle kings out of those four that we're going to talk about today, he got his name changed. We only know it because of Chronicles and when it calls him back to his base name. But what I want to say is this, the enemy will try to change your name. He'll try to change what he's going to call you. And you and I need to remember very, you know, bluntly. And sometimes even, even people who've got good intentions, you know, even some good church folks on down, they'll try to, they'll try to remind you by calling you what you used to be. That's the cleanest way I can say it, right? As we got a little mixed company. They'll, they'll try to remind you who you used to be when God's calling you by who he said you are. Right? And, and these guys, yeah, man, they screwed up. They screwed up royally. But they were still who God said they would be. They just made bad decisions along the way. And there's some punishment from that, which obviously we, we're going to look at and we just now read. But, but you need to make sure, like, you, you let the right person call you by the right name. I don't know. I just, I, I caught that at the very end again when, when she was reading. And I remember that king that gets mentioned again in, in, in Chronicles. And I'm like, man, I, I don't want nobody letting the enemy call them something they're not. Because the more he calls you that, the more you'll try to identify with that. And that's why he calls you that. Right? So don't, don't, don't be, don't be construing ideas. Now I say that because I want to make sure I'm saying like, God, I, when I, when I preach verse by verse and go into stuff, I want us to understand like, I, I want to get as much truth out of scripture as I can get. I don't want to get them old lessons that we've had a hundred times. Not that those are bad lessons, but, but I don't want it to just be like a surface level kind of thing. Like I, I want the verses to preach whatever truth God's got in them. All right, so so here's and, and I'm saying that because you're not gonna like the verses I'm gonna go back to to make sure we get a hold of. So if you got your Bibles open 24, I think Chris will put it on the screen, verses three through four. I want to start out by looking back at some of those verses before, and again, we're gonna go into 23, a couple verses that we missed last week, and then we're going, but here's what it says. This happened to Judah only at what does it say? Yahweh's command. What was his command? To remove them from his sight. You ever made your mom or dad so mad that they used the phrase, get out of here, I don't even want to see you right now? And for those of you too old and retired, Danny, to remember what it was like when you made your parent mad, you ever made your spouse so mad that they used that line with you? Get out of here, I don't even want to see you right now. I don't even want to think about you right now. I don't want to hear anything from you right now. I just need some space. How bad does it have to be for God to look down at his chosen people and have these thoughts? You know, I don't know if you guys, I tried to share some stuff in this timeline that's been going on. I don't know if you guys have been checking out Ezekiel and Jeremiah while we're going through this so that you're in. In the timeline order, it gets so bad in Jeremiah. We don't ever like to use this verse. So while we're using verses nobody likes, go ahead and throw another one out. God tells Jeremiah, you might as well stop praying for him. How bad do you have to be that God himself tells his own prophet, you're wasting your breath praying for him? Do we understand how bad things have gotten? Because we're all quick to talk about the love and the grace and the mercy of the Lord. And not to say he don't have them. That's not what I'm saying. But I want to make sure, like, there's also times where God says, you know what? Enough is enough. Right? Then there's where we're at. Because I don't want any of us reading this. Because we'll read this and be like, oh, that was God's enemy that came in and did that. No. No, it ain't. Some of the stuff you go through in your life is not because of your enemy. Unless you consider it a God-ordained enemy. This isn't ungodly people doing bad things. That's not what it is. These are God's chosen people. This is Judah said, right? He said, I want to remove them from my sight. Why? Because that Manasseh, that Manasseh right before Josiah, 
he, he was the one that broke the straw that broke the camel's back. He was the one that, that pushed me over the edge. According to all he had done, and just in case you forgot what he'd done, he filled up the whole area with innocent blood. Remember, it said from the top to the bottom that the nation flowed with blood. He had filled Jerusalem with innocent blood and Yahweh could not. What does it say? No, it says would not. Oh, it doesn't say could not. You're telling me God chose to look at this nation. Not that he couldn't, but what does it say? He would not forgive. Yeah, ouch is right. I'm only pointing this out, guys, because I don't want you guys sugarcoating scripture and trying to say it says something that ain't all right. Like we, we go come to terms with this thing. Like we got a good, good daddy and a good, good daddy will take off his belt, wear that hiney out. You know what I'm saying? Like I didn't think it when I was getting my hiney wore out, you know, but years later and I had to wear out a hiney or two. <clears throat> right. Maybe on like row number two, I realized, man, my dad knew what he was doing. Right. Like he, he had some some purpose behind it. Right. Now, now, if your daddy wore you out for no reason, that's a whole different lesson. So don't think I'm saying all all whoopings was good, right? But but I'm just saying, like, we have a good, good father. And because he's a good, good father, he sometimes has to do things that he doesn't like to do, but that he has to do, right? And the truth is taking place here. And the reason I want to go back to those verses and make sure we're understanding right now, like, this is a command from Yahweh. This is not Satan. This is not the enemy. This 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 is... This is this is God bringing his judgment on a group of deceitful followers that have chosen repeatedly for hundreds of years now to not surrender to him. And to continue to disobey and continue to fall and to continue to go back. We said this phrase, I almost had the, the, the title for this rather than God pouring out his wrath that you saw at the beginning. We almost had this as a title. You remember when we looked at Hezekiah for the very first week? We used this phrase in this verse that we've had before. It says what? If God be for us, who can be against us? Now, y'all know me. I think if scripture says one thing one way, as long as you switch everything, you know, so it's 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 equal. It also is true the other way. Right. So today, here's what I want you to think about. Not not if if God before us, because with Hezekiah, that was true. He trusted in God. Nobody had trusted before or after like him. And what did God do? God killed one hundred eighty five thousand Assyrian soldiers in one night. Top killers. God took out in one night with one guy. Right. So 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 trusting in God. And God being for us, and who cares who's against us, right? Because they can't stand up. But if that's true, then if we say the opposite of what? If God is not for us, or if God is against us, then what can stop him? And what does it matter? Right? This is God against people, guys. When God is on your side, you don't have no need to worry. But but what if you were one of the Assyrians back then? What if God was against you? We don't like to think about like God being our enemy, do we? None of us, even unbelievers don't like to think about that, right? I mean, we, we use this, this verse in scripture all the time, John 3, 16. And we throw that thing out there like it's a cotton candy for everybody to just come get for free and whatnot. And everybody knows it. Everybody focuses on it and, and all this stuff, right? We've driven that home. So nobody likes to think about God being an enemy. Oh, God's just love and God's just, just as even people who don't believe in God. Don't think they're God's enemy. You ever, you ever met anybody who's like, I'm an enemy of God. But what does the Bible say? What is, what is true theology say about enemy of God? Don't take my word for it. I got, I got what, four or five verses here. Romans 5, 10. Let's get accurate theology and accurate biblical understanding of what scripture says. Romans 5, 10. For while we were, what is it? Enemies, enemies, we're reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. That's good news. But the truth of it says that at one point we were enemies, right? After giving the parable of the of the talents, Jesus spoke specifically to his followers. And there's where I want us to really get. And I think where the writer of Kings gets is understanding like this. This is to the followers, right? And he talks about that one that hid the talent in the ground. Luke chapter 19, verse 27. And he said this, but what? But these enemies of mine. 
who did not want. Why are they enemies? He even, even elaborates on it a little more. He wants to make sure we understand. Like, they're enemies. Why? Because they did not want me to reign over them. You got a problem with God reigning over your life? You got a problem. Oh, you say you don't, but do you? If we get honest about it, you, you following everything that's in there? Like, you, you follow it with joy? Oh, God says, I got to do this. I love it. Or, or is it, oh, I don't know if I want to do that. Right? I got to be a sacrificial husband? Oh, forget that junk. She should sacrifice to me. Right? Is that not more of the right attitude that we have? What? I, I, I got I to be a steward to other people? Man, I want them serving me. Is that not the attitude we have normally? Is that not the attitude of the world? Right? Why? Because they did not want me to reign over them. Bring them here. Oh, man. And slay them in my presence. Wow, these are not our Sunday school verses, are they? But are they not in the word of God? Paul writes, and, and I love it because he even describes what an enemy of God looks like. Philippians 3, 18, 19. He says, for I've often told you, and now I'm going to say it again, but this time I'm going to say it with tears. That how many? Many. Now, he's talking, understand, you need to make sure you understand this. Who's he writing to? Book of Philippians? This is the church. This is those nice, nice little prim and proper little Christians, right? That many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Why would he write that to the church? Wouldn't that be like something you'd write to those outside the church? Because might it be the greatest enemies God has and the one that he looks at as enemies as far as real enemies are those that pretend to be one thing by being another? Hmm. Maybe I'm wrong. Let's just see what it says, right? Their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. What does that mean? That means they're driven by... Oh, they don't have to be gluttony. It ain't the donuts always, okay? All right? Thank God I got that one sin, right? With the donuts and the glutton, but... That ain't just what he means with the stomach. What's he saying? They're at, they're driven by their appetite. Now, if their appetite is some donuts, well then yes, that is a bad thing. But what if their appetite is money and power and sex and fame and just feeling good about yourself? What if their appetite has nothing to do with the things that God says they ought to be hungry for? <laughs> well then Paul's crying as he says it, then your enemies of the cross, right? Their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is their shame. What? What does that mean? That means those that can't be humbled, they got all that pride going on. <laughs> it's also going to be their destruction and their end, right? Better to humble yourself than to him have to humble you. They are focused on earthly things. You want to know what an enemy of the Lord looks like? Those that are focused on things outside these walls. Those that aren't living by this, that aren't aren't craving this, that aren't desiring this and the things of, of his word, and those that desire nothing but that that's outside of the church. All right? This is what scripture says, not me. You don't have to like it. All right? But that, that's what he's saying. He goes, and those are the ones that will lead to destruction and have punishment along it. James chapter 4, 4. He calls them straight up. You adulteresses. You do not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? What? You mean we can't be friends with everybody? I thought that was how it was supposed to work. No. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. These are verses we don't normally look at, right? Because we want to be God's friend. We want God to be our friend. Well, I think he wants to be our friend. We just choose sometimes not to be. Matthew, Jesus says, chapter 12, verse 30, he who is not with me is against me. He even says, he who isn't gathering with me, he's scattering. So he goes further to even say, like, if you're not with me and you're not gathering with me, you're like, you're making it worse. Is that not true with looking at pretenders in the church today? Can't tell you how many people I talk to over the course of years that their number one problem with coming to church and developing a relationship with God that slows them down and is a hindrance to them is false believers in the church. Can't tell you how many times I hear, oh, well, so-and-so went to church and look at what they did. 
So-and-so was on stage, and look what they did. So-and-so did this. So-and-so acts like this. So-and-so. And not that it's fair, because we're not supposed to be comparing ourselves to people, but here's just the reality of what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, you're scattering people away from me rather than drawing them to me, because you've got a hunger for the things of the world rather than a hunger for me. And if that's what you're going to do, <laughs> then you're not my ally, you're my enemy. Really, really, Scripture puts us in two categories. We're either allies with, with the Lord or we're enemies with the Lord. It's that simple. Like there, you can't be neutral. There, there, there's, no, there's no way to, you know what? And here's the hard question to go back to it. And when God is for you, life is great. But what about when God is against you then? Let's get back to him. Because the Scriptures aren't just talking about the Assyrians when it uses these verses we just looked at. It's talking about those in the church. Right? We looked at Josiah and we talked about how devoted he was. And then it mentioned Manasseh. Chapter 24, 3 and 4, the verses we just looked at. And it, and it reminded us of how immoral and idolatrous he was and what God said about him. I've seen enough. And as we go through today, I've got to tell you, like, these are the last four kings of Judah, guys. Such a huge impact. I think this is, I think this is super significant. These are the last four kings Judah ever has. Ever. They don't have kings now. They've got a prime minister who switches roles and, and changes and, you know, runs with the, with the government. The kings are gone. It gets so bad like this is this is it. I guess you could say until King Jesus comes again. Right? Because we know he's going to be the fulfillment of the, the major prophecy that, that, that was made to David. Right? So here's what I want to look at. I want to look at these four kings. I'm just going to run through the history of both of them. What their problem is as being an enemy of God. And then some life application from it. So look back at verse uh, chapter 23. We ended last week early. I know some of you are thinking it wasn't really early. It was 11 and a half minutes over. I think you'll be all right with your 11 and a half minutes, but or 40 minutes or 45 minutes. Thank God says give him two and a half hours a day at a minimum. So, and I know you guys didn't do it this week. So I want to make sure you get caught up on your, your tithe of time. It says this guy was 23 years old when he became king and he reigned three months in Jerusalem. Wow. That's a short reign, right? Here's what this first king. So here, here's, here's, and, and what I want you to look at with these four things with these kings now is this. Are you exhibiting what these guys are? First, first guy's problem. He's a confused king. He's confused. He, he, he's the son of Josiah. There's no doubt. But I want to note, and we're going to note as we look at the second king, he's not the oldest. So then you got to ask historically, if he's not the oldest, how did he get to be king first? He's the people's choice. And if that doesn't make us very afraid when we go back to the beginning of our study of Kings, which has been like forever and a day ago, I know. That ought to give us some red flags everywhere. You remember the, the people's choice? You remember their first? Why'd they pick him? What was it? Hey, he's handsome. Nobody wants an ugly guy representing your town, right? What a good looking guy. I'd like to point out this is just too good. The blind lady, right? Just pointed out that they picked a handsome guy. <laughs> How handsome did he have to be that the blind lady thinks back on it, right? I love you, Miss Cheryl. Right? That's good stuff. He's handsome. What else they pick him for? He was tall. Huh? You don't want no midget standing up to other people for you? I know I'm probably not supposed to use the word midget in church, but it'd be all right. All right? We're not supposed to pick on blind people in church either, but we do it. Right? So, so he's handsome, he's tall, we're going to have it real. What else? Strong. What else? He was a great soldier. He was smart. Good military plans. What would God say about him, though? You can sum it up. I don't need no verse by verse, guys. I want to make sure you understand scripture. I don't care if you can quote it. What, what did God say? God said, he ain't the one I would pick. Because I'm not looking at the qualities you're looking at. What were they looking at? Everything outside. I want somebody tall, I want somebody handsome, I want somebody with power, come from a family with money. Like we, we got, you ever had those requirements? Crystal hates this, but, but I had those. She left, didn't she? Thank God. I get to get, in, oh, whew, you scared me, girl. I thought she was coming to get me from behind, right? You and Crystal's about the same height, so I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, but, but I'll kid aside, I had this dumb idea, man. I had this dumb idea like I could put on paper like this perfect girl. But I'm serious. She laughed. She found some of like my little notes and all, man, on what, 
like requirements and checklists and, and all this stuff. And when she found them, I'm reading them, breaking down, crying. I'm like, baby, what's wrong? This is this is like two years in. Like, I'm already stuck, you know? Not two years into marriage, but two years in a relationship. Like, she's the one, right? It. <laughs> And she tells me, I don't need none of these. <laughs> but I laugh because I had the wrong ideas about what I should have been picking out for myself rather than let God pick out what turned out to be so much more awesome. Right. So you come in at a good time, baby. Right. Huh? What, what did God tell him? Though? God said, guys, you're looking at the wrong stuff and you're picking people for the wrong reason. And it's going to end up. Why did they pick them that way? Because what they, they said it. They said, we want to be like the other nations. And God said, well, if you want to be like the other nations, you're going to get what the other nations got. And sure enough, what they get? Headaches, problems, turmoil. Rather than blessing and peace. Right? And then God picks a guy who is probably a little bit shorter, who is the youngest, who didn't come from a family of extreme wealth, or at least if he did, because there's debate on how much wealth David's family had. As the last son, I assure you, he wasn't getting much of it regardless, okay? So it's safe to say he wasn't. And yet he turns out to be what? The one that begins to turn the nation in the right direction before we get to this end, right? So, so, so we get, we got this thing about the people's choice. And, and, and here's what I hate about it. You write this down as a note taker. Like they're going back to where they started. For God's sake, in your walk with the Lord, don't go back to where you started. Keep moving forward, right? Like, like don't go back to who you, you, that, that's the enemy changing your name again idea concept. Like he's going to call you who you used to be and what you used to be. And God's saying, no, man, we're moving forward. Like we're past that. Yet these people didn't get past that. They're doing the exact same thing at the end that they did at the beginning. And they get the judgment on him. 31 through 34 says, he did evil in the sight of the Lord. No matter how great Josiah, his daddy was, and awesome that he did, his son goes down the wrong way. But here's why I call him confused. Because everybody's like, what does all this have to do with confused? Here's why I call him confused. Jeremiah 22. We're going to take a lot from Jeremiah today because he writes a little bit more specific than the writer of Kings. Just for his purpose. Nothing wrong with either one. Jeremiah 22, 11 through 17, if you take notes and want to follow along. says, for thus says Yahweh in regard to, what's his name? Shalom. Well, hold on. I thought his name, no. His real name, right? The son of Josiah, king of Judah, who became king in the place of Josiah's father. He went forth from this place. He will never return there. That's a quick change. But in the place where they led him captive, where he will die and not see the land again. Woe to him who builds his house without righteousness and his upper rooms without justice, who uses his neighbor's services without pay and does not give him his wages. Who says, I build myself a roomy house with spacious upper rooms and cut out its windows, paneling it with cedar and painting it with bright red. Do you become a king because you are competing in cedar? Not did your father eat and drink and do justice and righteousness. Then it was well with him. He pled. The cause of the afflicted and the needy when it was well. When it was well is not that what it means to know me, declares the Lord, but your eyes and your heart are intent only upon your own dishonest gain and on shedding innocent blood and on practicing oppression and extortion. Now, in, in layman's terms, what's going on? He looked at his house and he was like, oh, my dad had built the temple so nice. I need my house upgraded. And he built it bigger and he painted it and he put big windows in it. And he made it look really, really nice. And he went and bought some nice stuff. And he got all this work done. And he got so much stuff done. The Jeremiah even points out like he wasn't even paying his bills to the workers who were doing this stuff. So he's oppressing people rather than delivering people. He's getting all this stuff. And, and here's why I call him the confused king. Right. He's got no clue what it means to be a king. His idea is the same thing that started this whole thing in the book of Kings way back in the beginning when we studied it. They wanted to be like the other nations. So what did he want? He wanted to be pretty. He wanted to be handsome. He wanted to be taller. He wanted to be more elaborate than everybody else. And he totally missed what it meant. He thought fancy houses and long robes were made a good king. He's confused. And if you were like this first king, then maybe you're confused in your walk with the Lord. Maybe you're confused in what it's supposed to be. You know, the scariest thing is, is Christians who are blessed too much. That sounds weird to say, doesn't it? Why? Because what, is, what does Scripture really say about that sometime? Does it say our walk with him is going to be full of blessings all the time? We don't ever like to look at the other side because it doesn't sound good for a Sunday morning pick me up to start the new week, right? But, but what does it really say? Jesus looked at his followers and he told them, man, I ain't even going to have a place to stay. You ain't got a place to lay your head down. 
Jesus, you would have made a poor army recruiter. You know what I'm saying? Like we need somebody who's going to lie to him and tell him how good it's going to be, not the truth. But what would he say? He goes, if the world hates me, <laughs> what do you think they're going to do with you? So if you're just hunky-dory in this world and you've got no problems and everything's all kumbaya, sing around the fire, i got news for you. It might not be because you're being blessed by the Lord. You might just be being fooled by Satan. Right? Goes even deeper and says this. You're confused. Samuel said this. Chapter 16, 6 through 7. By the way, keep in mind as we go through all these, there's a lot of prophets still, despite the destruction that's coming to this kingdom. That's that's big for the end, okay? Because it's easy to look at this and be like, oh man, God completely deserted. No, God's got prophets all over this thing. The people have just deserted the word of the Lord. So it gets them in trouble, right? First Samuel 16, 6 through 7. When they entered, he looked at Eliab and said, surely the Yahweh's anointed is before him. But Yahweh said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance for at the height of his stature because I've rejected him. For God sees not as man sees and man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. He was clueless to what really mattered. Are we clueless to what really matters? If so, guys, that's a huge warning. You may be an enemy of God. When we're clueless about what's important and what really matters, that's a huge warning about being an enemy of the Lord, not an ally. You look back at 23 of Kings, you get 33 and 34. He was wicked, so what? God judged him. His punishment came. Right? It's no thing. So second thing. So we got one king that's clueless. The second king Jehoiakim. By the way, Tamara, when she asked to read, she thought she was going to get away with this. She asked to read last week. Here's how she tells me on the porch. She goes, you know, I I study how to say the words every week. Well, good for you. (laughs) I study too, and I can't say none of them. Right? I listen over and over, and I still can't say none of them. Right? I just wanted to point out how wonderful she pronounced the words. Because she practiced a lot. Jehoiakim. I don't know if that's pronounced right by Tamar standards, but here's what I'm going to call him. He's a stubborn king. Here's what I mean by stubborn. One, he's also the son of Josiah. He's the older brother. So now we've got the older guy who probably would have been rightful heir to the throne. And, and you got to ask, because now Pharaoh's taking over, and this is a king that Pharaoh is picking. All right, he killed, he killed the little brother who the people had picked. So evidently he wasn't tall and strong and mighty enough. Right? So so now Pharaoh picks this older brother, and here he probably picks him for the same reason that people didn't pick him. He's a pushover. He's soft. He's a coward. Right? He could if if you can if you as the Pharaoh could pick the next king that you could control, who would you pick? The one you can control. Right? So what does he tell him? He goes, I, I want a tax, and I don't care how I get it. So what does what does a soft king do? Rather than go work and earn his own, what does he do? He taxes the people. He's following just like his brother who oppressed them and didn't take. So in verse 35, he taxed the land according to the command of Pharaoh, right? He's a puppet king. That's all he is. He's being ruled by Pharaoh. And, he goes, and when he gets to the evaluation of his life, verse 37, we get the same report we've got on many of them. He did evil in the sight of Yahweh according to all that his fathers had done. Then you go back to Jeremiah 22 again. And see how wicked he really was. Uh, 18 through 23. Therefore, thus says Yahweh in regard to Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, they will not lament for him. You got to be a pretty poor leader that when your time comes and gone, the people ain't even right. Alas, my brother, or alas, my sister, they will not lament for him. Alas, for the master, or alas, for the splendor. He will be buried with a donkey's burial. Does sound like that proper thing they did for like kings and people who deserve good leadership and, and all that, right? Dragged off and thrown out beyond the gates of Jerusalem. Go up to Lebanon and cry out and lift up your voice. And Bashan, cry, cry out also for Erebim, for all you lovers that have been crushed. I spoke to you in your prosperity, but you said, I will not listen. This is why I call him a stubborn king. I spoke to you in all your prosperity. Now understand what's going on. Because it's easy to look at this chapter and the truth is God is doing this punishment. God is bringing it. I don't, you heard me in the beginning. I don't want to shy away from that. But how many times does this prophet Jeremiah have to go to these kings and tell them, hey, you got another chance. Look at what he says. I came to you while you were. So so God is even trying to set the mood good. I came to you while things were well, like it would have been easy for you to understand. Right. But what does it say? But you said, 
Not only did he not listen, he actually said, I ain't listening to you. Right? He's stubborn. You ever have any kids like that? Y'all got any stubborn kids? Paxton, did you bring my water? That last year when we're walking out the house, I purposely didn't tell you to go back and get it. So it'd be a discernment illustration, just so you know. Where's it at? It's in the truck? Is it? I don't know if it's in the truck, but if it is, you still didn't bring it where you're told to bring it. Right? Because you're a stubborn kid. I'll try to disprove my illustration. Right? This has been your practice from your youth that you have not obeyed my voice. From your, from, from a youth. This is nothing new. The wind will sweep away all your shepherds and your lovers will go into captivity, which is going to happen. Then you will surely be ashamed and humiliated because of all your wickedness. You who dwell in Lebanon, nested in the cedars, how much will you groan when the bangs, pains come upon you? Pain like a woman in childbirth. Wow. Only the women in here could really understand how great those pains must be. Right? I just understand how strong women get when they're delivering. Because that little five foot three thing over there could squeeze my hand like you ain't never felt from somebody so tiny. Right? So there must have been something special going on inside. That's what I said. This is going to be so great. It's going to be like childbirth. God is specifically angry with this king because what? He refused to listen. He's stubborn. If God would put you in that category this morning, what does that make you? We ain't shied away from it. Say the word. It makes you an enemy of God. He says those stubborn people that don't listen, that hear the words, but choose not to listen. Now, he doesn't say do you hear. He says, do you listen? Right? Because of his wickedness, he gets judged. What happens? He gets carried off to Babylon. Right? So much so, and the writer of Kings doesn't record a lot of the exile. Uh, the uh, Chronicles does. So, you know, if you want to check it out, you can go back to 36. Around verse 6, it says, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up against him and bound him with bronze chains to take him to Babylon. So, so you get back what Jeremiah had prophesied and told him. He goes, man, you're going to be humiliated. Now, when you're the king, how humiliating does it have to be to be walking chained up just like everybody else being led back to captivity in another place? If you're chained up because of past decisions, because you were stubborn and you didn't listen, Scripture says you might be an enemy of God. Guys, I I hope you understand, like, I I don't want you to be an enemy of God, but I want to make sure if we are, we're we're going to change it. Right? Like we're, We're going to correct this thing. Again, a defiant king. By the way, for you note takers, same time Daniel and his friends are exiled to Babylon. So just so you know your, your time frame now. It's amazing how many books you can go back and look at and get so much more information. So we're like at 609 B.C. if you're like a real nerd and want to know a time frame, right? Defiant king, more judgment. All right, so you got a confused king. you got a stubborn king. Then we got this other guy, a despised king. Look at 24, 8 through 17. Again, the report of him in verse 9. He did evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father. Had done. This is Josiah's grandson, Jehoiakim's son, a wicked king, and this is what it says about him. Jeremiah 22 again. As I live, declares the Lord Yahweh, even though Kona, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, was a significant uh, ring on his right hand, yet I would pull you off and I would give you over to the hand of those who are seeking your life. Yes, and to the hand of those on whom you dread, even to the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and into the hand of the Chalidians. I will hurl you and your mother who bore you into another country. How bad did they have to be? Right? But like God saying, look straight out, like I would throw you and your mama. Right? You know it's bad when you got to pull out the mama into it. But as for the land to which you desire to return, you will not return to it. Is this man, hold on, we got another name again I left out, right? Conan, a despised, shattered jar? Or is he an undesirable vessel? Why has he and the descendants been hurled out and cast into the land? Oh, I make sure you know why. Oh, land, land, hear the word of Yahweh. Thus says Yahweh, write this man down. A man who will not prosper in his days for no man or his descendants will prosper sitting on the throne of David or ruling against Judah. Yeah, now you got a real wow, because what's he saying? There's going to be no more kings in your bloodline. You say, but hold on, you said four kings and we're at three. His uncle's going to get the throne for our fourth king, just so you, for your note takers. Okay? Not his son. Why? Because God said, you're not even going to have one to take the throne. 
Now, if you want to really talk about amazing how God does some cool stuff. You ever heard the phrase, can God make a rock so big you can't move it? People who try to like stump. Yeah, you never heard people say that? Oh, that's a good one. You ought to like debate that in your head. Like it's good. Good, good practice right there, right? So, so, so this, this is kind of that kind of question going on. You're like, and here's why. Some of you are like, what does that have to do with anything? Well, if you, if you kept up with us the whole time, God told David what? Your bloodline will bring forth the king. But hold on, we just got told by this guy, his bloodline ceases. Has God made a rock so big that he can't pick it up? Check out the genealogies in the first four books of the New Testament, you get some answers on that. And what it tells us is that Jesus comes directly from the bloodline of Mary, which was one of David's other kids. But he's also, this is how, this is how cool God is, right? He's also from, who, who's his daddy, earthly daddy? Joseph, which happens to come from the side that wasn't supposed to be able to have anybody else. He was like, you know, probably from a daughter or something like that 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 came forth. But my point is this. He couldn't be the blood son of Joseph. And this just proves why. Because why? That bloodline wasn't going to be allowed to keep on going. Yet God still made sure it all lined up perfectly, right? God God is awesome, man, in what he does. Big stuff right here. The the worst thing, though, is, is what he says, though. So go back to that last part. A man who will not prosper his days for his ascendant sitting on his throne. But how much must God have hated? I don't know if I can say that word from God. Maybe, maybe, maybe that's wrong. I can say despise because that's what scripture says. How much have, how much, how much did God despise this king? Now Manasseh is what broke the straw that made this judgment come, but he gets to this guy and he's like, the bloodline is done. Like we're not having no more. You guys have, right? Nobody else sitting on this throne from this, this punishment. It goes forth and well, verses 10 through 17, and, and how he takes him out and, and, and finishes it off, right? Just as God said, he's going to get rid of him and his mother. That's what happens. Him and his mama, gone. Also, the time Ezekiel and 10,000 other captives get deported to Babylon. You notice how each of these so-called leaders, when they get deported to Babylon, they're taking a crew of God's people with them? Hmm. What do we say about if you're not gathering your what Jesus say? If you're not gathering with me, you're you're scattering. So each of these leaders are scattering people further and further away. As God said, his son's not going to be allowed to sit on the throne. So what happens? Oh, Uncle Zebedee. Zedekiah, however you want to say it, right? He becomes king. So we got a clueless king, a stubborn king, a despised king. And here, here's so, so think about you now. If you if you're clueless about what really matters, you might be an enemy of God. If you're stubborn and not listening, might be an enemy of God. If God despises what you're doing, you might be an enemy of God. And then this last one, if you feel like God's abandoning you, then you are an enemy of God. That's what happens with, with this last king. So this, 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 this last king, his uncle steps up to the plate. Verse 19, did evil in the sight of the Lord. We already knew it was going to be bad. God wasn't pleased with him either. And here's what he said, Jeremiah 24, 8. This is a big ouch. But like the bad figs, which cannot be eaten due to rottenness. He just compared this guy to rotten figs. Indeed, thus says Yahweh. So I will abandon Zedekiah, king of Judah, and his officials and the remnant of Jerusalem who remain in this land and the ones who dwell in the land of Egypt. Wow. I thought it was I thought it was probably the worst thing to think about, like God despising somebody so much that they wanted their bloodline to cease. But but we get to this guy and God says, you know what, like I'm just we get back to like a Jeremiah type thing with with that man. You might as well stop praying for me, wasting your breath. He says, I'm out. I'm abandoning him. Right. If you, if you read Ezekiel, also during, during this, this same time period, Ezekiel saw probably the most horrific thing anybody could see. Ezekiel chapter 10, 18 and 19. Then the glory of Yahweh departed from the threshold of the temple and stood over the cherubim. When the cherubim departed, they lifted their wings and they rose up from the earth in my spirit with the wheels beside them. And they stood still at the entrance of the east gate of Yahweh's house and the glory of the God of Israel hovered over them. What, what, what Ezekiel's getting ready to see, guy, guys, is God's glory get up from the mercy seat, from the holy of holies and literally leave. Chapter 11, verse 22 of Ezekiel. Then the cherubim lifted their wings with the wheels beside them, and the glory of God of Israel hovered over them. 
the glory of Yahweh the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood over the mountain, which is east of the city. Ezekiel actually saw physically what was happening spiritually. The Hebrew term Ichabod, which we looked at back in First uh, Kings with uh, Phinebia's wife. She gives birth to the son. I don't know if you guys remember her, her husband. He dies. And at the at his death, it pushes her into uh, delivery a, a lot earlier than it should have been. And the Ark of the Covenant and her husband, all, all this stuff. Really what it goes back to is the Ark of the Covenant was being stolen. She gives forth birth to this, this son early, and she names him this, meaning this, no glory. The glory of the Lord has departed. So what, what happened here, Ezekiel actually saw it happen permanently with the Lord leaving. But this, this is how far they, they've gotten. And, and, and this is the purpose of that abandonment. He abandoned them, why? So that they could be destroyed. We realize like they couldn't be defeated if God was still there, right? If you guys do acknowledge and understand the mighty and the power of the Lord, like like as the Lord as the Lord was there, they're gonna keep on going somewhere or the other. So you guys say, you know what? The best thing I can do is get up and let you guys have what you've been wanting the whole time, right? So you get to chapter twenty-five. Let me just read how graphic this this ending is for these guys. Last seven verses, or first seven verses of twenty-five. Said in the ninth year of Zedekiah's reign, the tenth day of the tenth month. Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, he advanced to Jerusalem with his entire army. They laid siege to the city. They built a siege wall all around it. The city was under siege in Zedekiah's 11th year. By the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine was so severe that the common people had no food. The city was broken into. The warriors fled at night by way of the city gate between the two walls and the king's garden. Even though the uh, Chaladin surrounded the city, the king made his way through the route of Arabia. The Chaladin army pursued him, overtook him. In the plains of Jericho, Zedekiah's entire army had left him. So he's, you talk about abandoned. Now he's totally abandoned, literally. They seized the king and they brought him up to the king of Babylon and they passed a sentence on him. Check this out now. Here, here's where it gets real. So they've got him captive. They've got him tied up. They've got him watching. In verse 7 it says, they slaughtered his sons before his eyes. Finally, the king of Babylon blinded Zedekiah, bound him in bronze chains and took him the rest of the way to Babylon. You talk about a punishment. The last thing this guy sees is his own sons being slaughtered. And then most likely like they would have done in some, some previous characters we've read about, they probably burned his eyes out like they would have did Samson or something like that to blind him. So that would be the last thing he ever saw. And then he would just be in chains for the rest of his life. Miserable. Miserable. But, but what did it say? He had warning after warning after warning. The entire nation had warning after warning after warning. And, and, and if you're thinking, man, we did a lot of texts, a lot of people, a lot of history, yes. But but here it, it, it's so it's on purpose for the big picture. Here's the big picture. These three kings and then application, right? Or these four kings had three things in common. So four kings, all three of them had this common. One is, is they were evil. So evil, we got to go back to, to what Tammy had read. They did evil in the sight of the Lord. What did they do in the sight of the Lord that was so evil? All of them, all of them hated God's word. One of them so much so, the second guy, you remember when they were reading the word, what did it say? Oh, I don't like that. Tear that page out and throw it in the fire. Get rid of it. Now, this is God's law that they finally found. Remember, it had been missing for who knows how long. They finally got it. They're finally reading it like they're supposed to. And this king despises it so much. What does he say? Rip it up and burn it. Now, you're thinking, man, that sounds terrific. Do you not do the same thing when you choose not to listen to it? Maybe you don't throw it in the fire, but are you not despising his word? Are you not ignoring his word? Do you basically not hate his word? Those that love me do it. So therefore the opposite must be true, right? Then there's that hate me do not. So if you don't like the word of the Lord, it's evil in the sight. What does it say? They shed innocent blood. How much innocent blood did they shed? Over and over, it's repeated about how many they, they took uh, took possession of and took over and, and treated on. They worshipped idols. Hey, I don't worship idols. How many things have you put in front of God in your life? Idol ain't got to be something that's made, right? Idol is what you make it. How many things have you put in front of the Lord? They were all evil. Second thing, they all had enemies. Now, I don't want you jotting this down as like, yeah, I got enemies. I want you to be specific like we were in the beginning. They had enemies appointed by God. For an appointed purpose. Right? 
And the appointed purpose was what? To destroy them. One guy faces Egypt. Another guy faces the Armenians, the Moabites, the Ammonites, and the Chaldeans. Uh, another guy, he faces uh, Babylon. It's just, it's just enemy after enemy after enemy. Why? Because what did 24 say? Two and four, if we go back to it. The Lord sent all these people, sent them what? To destroy Judah because of what Judah had done. Then you skip down to verse 20. For though the anger of the Lord Yahweh, this came about in Jerusalem and Judea until he cast them out from his presence. And Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. They were evil. They chose evil. And God sent enemies to punish them for it. Last one, what those enemies do? They went in exile. Each of them go into exile. If you're exiled, exiled from what? From what? The land of the Lord. The first, first king, Jehoaz, he dies in Egypt. Jehoiakim, he, he's exiled to Babylon. He returns for just enough to do what? Get killed and get put outside the city gates in a donkey's grave. So that ain't really a return. Uh, Jehoiachin, uh, exiled to Babylon with his mother. I'm, I'm going to cast you guys both over there. Zedekiah, exiled after being blinded and witnessing the death of his sons. And here's the point. God was against these kings. And if he was, then they didn't have a chance. So my point is this. Like, if you're thinking right now, I might be an enemy. You don't have a chance if you might be an enemy of God. But that's the reality of it. Like, we don't like hearing anything about it. But the reality is, like, you don't have a chance without him. All of them suffer the same fate, the defeat and exile and death and judgment. If God is for you, who can be against you? But if if God is against you, there's nothing you can do. Do you understand this? The, the huge point, maybe we passed over, that we should have gathered through the whole thing. The fall of Jerusalem didn't come about in like one, one battle. It occurred in stages. They repeatedly lost battle after battle after battle after battle and led to this. And the same thing in our life. When we repeatedly lose battle after battle after battle after battle. I told you I wanted to close with application. Here, here's what I want to make sure we don't do. Because I've heard these these ideas preached, and, and maybe not this verse, but ideas like this preached. And the thing everybody does, including us in the church sometimes, common practice, the people in the church is what? We want to apply it to America. We let our patriotism get in the way of what Scripture says. Let me just be blunt and honest with you guys, okay? America is not Israel. All right? You're not Judah. I hate to pop your bubble. I hate to disappoint you. I hate that everybody thinks like you're the next chosen nation. You're not. There's nothing at the end of Revelation that says, comma, America then came forth and I made a covenant with them. You're not a covenant nation. Okay? Now, that doesn't mean we can't take ideas that, that definitely line up. America is an idolatrous nation. No doubt. We let everything in. Right? We've okayed it all. We're tolerant of false religions. We're in love with things of the world. We're chasing money and, and, and women and everything else as fast as we can. We're a disobedient nation. We love what God hates. We disregard his laws and we increase in biases. There's no doubt. We're a nation that sheds innocent blood. How much innocent blood have we shed? Through abortion and other ways. Right? And just because of those facts, we read passages like this and we try to think, oh, America better look out. And we try to apply it to America. I just want to make sure we apply it to the right thing, okay? If, if, you, if, you, if you need something, you're a note taker right now. You're like, well, who do I apply America to? Greece, Rome, Babylon, Assyria, any of the Canaanite nations? Anybody who wasn't a covenant nation? <laughs> do, do you understand? You're like, hold on, I don't want to be compared to them. Too bad. Right? You don't get to pick who you're compared to. Right? So, so if we're not talking about America then from this, because of the covenant nation, then who does this text apply to? Well, then I ask you this. Who was Israel and Judah at this time? Think about it. Who were they? They were those that claimed to be in a covenant with God, yet they had broken the covenant. Correct? We, we, we're getting to the end of Kings, so I've got to make sure you guys got that, right? They, they were in a covenant with God, yet they broken the covenant, right? They were what? They're apostates. They're hypocrites. They're, they're religious on the outside and idolatrous on the inside. They're, they're physical descendants of Abraham, yet not spiritual descendants of Abraham. They look like Israel on the outside, yet they're not truly Israel on the inside. That, that's who we're talking about. Maybe you'll understand it this way better, you New Testament guys, right? So Romans chapter 2, here's what Paul says, verse 28 and 29. For he is not a Jew who is, on, who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is an outward of the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly. Circumcision, that which is of the heart by the spirit, 
not by the letter. And praise is not from men, but from God. What's what's Paul saying? He goes, guys, we, we're not looking on the outside like everybody else. That, that's hypocritical. That's false claimers. That's covenant breakers, right? God, God is kicking them out. Why? Because they had a covenant agreement that was reserved for them, and they've broken it. Now, I know I've said it before, and you guys are like, man, I'm sick of Deuteronomy chapter 6. Go back and check Deuteronomy 6 out. The, the, the covenant agreement is there, and God's saying this, like, like summed up in two things. Like, do your part. Love me. Obey me. And I'll do my part, which is to let you live in the land of my people. So then the reverse of that is what? If you don't do your part of loving and obeying me, I'm not going to let you stay in the land. I'm kicking you out. Is that not right? If you break your part of the covenant, I'm going to kick you out of the land. That's the promise. Israel proved to be liars. God removed them from the land. So if you want to apply this text to today, let's apply it to the Christians in the church. Let's apply it to those who profess to be believers in the body of Christ, yet are false believers. Because what does Paul say numerous times in the Bible, numerous times in other areas? There will be a lot of false believers amongst the brethren, and they are considered enemies of God. Who we're talking about is those who come to church all the time and yet might not be living what they think they are. You know, the guys, we've, we've been in the book of Matthew, and I'm amazed at how many things from Matthew line up with things from, from Sunday. We ain't made it to 13, but when we come back, that's where we're going to be. But I want to look at Matthew 13, 36 through 43. Then he left the crowds and he went into the house. His disciples approached him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds and the field. He replied, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. And the good seed, these are the children of the kingdom. The weeds are like the children of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the harvesters are angels. Therefore, just as the weeds are gathered and buried in the fire, so it will be gathered at the end of age. The son of man will send out his angels and they will gather from the kingdom all who cause sin and those guilty of lawlessness. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in their father's kingdom. Let anyone who has ears listen. Let anyone who has ears listen. It's, it's not enough to live in God's land and call yourself a Jew. No more than it's enough to dwell in the house of God and come join us on Sunday mornings and call yourself a Christian and practice religious ceremonies, yet your love of God not be real. Your dedication to God, your commitment to God, your obedience to God not be real. The writer of Kings, guys, please understand where he's at. I said this a few weeks ago. I remembered it. Like, like he's, he's in captivity in Babylon. He's writing this stuff and, and, he, and he's sharing this whole bit because he's a Jew living in Babylon. And he's writing to say, how did things get this bad for us? When you look out, don't talk about America. Let's talk about the church. Okay, I'm sick of the people in the church always saying, man, when you look out across America, like how bad America's got. Let's talk about how bad the church has gotten. Because that's what we're responsible for, okay? So when we look out and you say, man, look look how, how bad the church, that's what he's writing. The writer of, of Kings is a Jew sitting in Babylon. He's like, how did we get to this point? How did, how did we go from the promises of God and, and, and seeking and trusting God and obeying God to getting here? Where God is so despised by us that he's stopping bloodlines and sending the enemy to destroy us on purpose. Right? We're taking God's name is not enough if you're not truly living for him. We're, we're going back to what Elijah asked him in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 21. How long will you hesitate between these two opinions? How long are you going to debate between the two? There is no room for hypocrisy in a relationship with Christ. There's not. Matthew 12, 20. What, what, go back to it again. He who's not with me is against me. Yet you try to hide in the land and be committed. What? God will find you and remove you. There's plenty of people hiding in the land that God had to find and remove. I hate to say it, but there's plenty of people hiding in the church that God will find and will remove. Man, if nothing else, please make sure your commitment to Christ this morning is where it's supposed to be. Where you're a child of God and not an enemy of God. Right? Matthew 13, he talks about like heaven being like this dragnet that's cast into the sea and it picks up fish from, from all kinds and, and it draws to the beach and they sat down and they gathered the good fish into containers and the bad fish they threw away. And then he says, so it will be at the end of age that the angels will come forth and they will take the wicked from the righteous and they will throw them into the furnace of fire. In their place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
God, God's not sugarcoating because he cares enough for us as a good, good daddy to tell us the truth. He's like, look, guys, it, there's going to be this, this thing that happens. And, and if you're not in the right, right section, it's going to be bad for you. Right? Now, think about it this way. All these prophets still writing, yet them choosing not to listen. What seems like an impossible situation. Kings, those with authority being punished and die. This, this song we're about to sing, man. I've shared with you before, like John Mark Ramillan, he writes it because he lost his best friend. I, I want to share like a little bit more about it because it just hits so spot on for this morning. Now, first of all, we sing this David Crowder version. Not that there's anything wrong with David Crowder version. But he like changes this word in there. Uh, John Mark Millen, he writes it. Let me give you a story. So his friend is the youth minister that the song's written about. His name's Stephen. All right, so Stephen is the youth minister. He literally is having this, this breakdown of prayer time the morning they're having coffee. And this, this is his prayer, and this is what he tells uh, John Mark McMillan that morning as, as they're meeting at the coffee shop and talking about Scripture and, and saying where he goes, man, I would give, this is literally what it says, I would give my life for God to be able to start a revival. That same night is when he dies, guys. Same night. Now, you would think this would be a really cool story, and like John Mark Miller writes a song the next day, he doesn't. It takes him years to fully, now he wrote, he wrote some stuff throughout the time, but it took him years to finally realize his best friend had given his life so that he could be in a, a, a painful situation, an impossible situation, to pen words on a paper that would begin a revival in worship services. Thinking, how does that tie into today? How many kings died that the writer of kings is writing about to let you know so that you don't have to follow the same suit they follow? The whole, the whole point of a, of a book full of badness, that's what it is, so that you guys know what not to do, how to stay away from it. He says that, that, that when he, he's writing this song and, and as, as things were going on, you ought to hear the very, if you get a chance, Google, yeah, it's a really old video, so you gotta like, you gotta look up the original one. And he's standing in this stadium. Literally, a whole stadium full, like a rally. Big Christian rally. And his, his buddy who knew the story and knew the song, knew, knew, knew Stephen, his best friend, and everything, he tells him, he goes, man, this, this is what Stephen was talking about with his life starting to revival. And it's the first time he sings the song live, and it, it ain't the prettiest version, right? It ain't no, it ain't no David Crowder version or anything like that. But, but it's real, and it's so genuine. It, and when he cries, here, here's why I pick on David Crowder. David Crowder prettied it up, and the lady who sings it also prettied it up with, with this beautiful kiss. When he originally wrote it, he wrote like a sloppy, wet kiss. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like you can, you gotta go back to that moment so you understand what he's actually writing about. You, you remember like that, that awkward moment, right? Where like you probably drooled on your wife or girlfriend or the first kiss. I don't know what it was, but it was, it was like that awkward moment. Like you need, I'm telling, I'm not trying to be funny. I'm being dead serious. Like you need to understand where he's at and where he's writing this thing. And he tells me it was, it was like a sloppy wet kiss. Like I was in an awkward moment where I didn't fully understand the love of God. But but he, he writes it. We're going to sing it. So, so I'm going to let us let ladies get to it. Right. But but it was like this hurricane wind that just come about and took me over. That's the kind of love relationship Jesus wants to have with you guys. He wants to come in like a hurricane, like gushing wind. And he don't care how awkward the sloppy wet kiss is. He just wants you to be close enough where you can throw some lips on him. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like he's that crazy about you. Despite the fact of how far away we as a church sometimes have gotten, he's still sending his word, prophets, to speak to us, to get us back right. Not so we can have this patriotism about America, but so that we can have dedication to the kingdom of God that we're supposed to be. Father God, we thank you so much for this morning, Lord. Lord, I thank you for, for your words in scripture. God, I thank you for the truth that as a good, good daddy, you got to give us some time. And Lord, I pray that if, if there's somebody here, Lord God, that we're stubborn and we're not listening, Lord God, God, we're confused about what it means to be a believer. 
Lord, we've made you despised. God, we've made you want to abandon us. Or maybe we just feel abandoned by our our comrades in arms, Lord God. God, I pray that your spirit come in and fill those gaps that I left this morning. God, I pray that you take the history, both from Kings and, and Jeremiah, Lord God, and these men as they write. God, you take the words of the words written by John Mark Miller and sung by these ladies today, Lord God, of what seemed like a hopeless and desperate situation. Lost in emotion. Awkward in appearance. And God, you gather us under your arms. Drawing us close, Lord God. Let us feel that wind, Lord God, like a hurricane that surrounds us. And let us understand that it is your presence and your power and your strength. And God, I pray that that wind blow us in the right direction. A direction of repentance, a direction of change, a direction of of humility. That our things be be judged by your word, Lord God, and not the, the things of this world. That we're no longer confused, Lord God. But we're aiming in the right direction, which is headed toward you. In your great and holy name. Amen.